Hi, this is Dawn Knepper coming to you from the Orange County office of Buckalter. Uh, I'm a shareholder here in this office and I'm excited to speak with you today on Stormy Skies Ahead. Can arbitration and non-disclosure agreements survive in the current climate? For those of you who uh, regularly follow the news, uh, you've seen that there have been many developments on the Me Too movement over the course of the last six months. Uh, since the Me Too movement initially broke, we've had numerous allegations that have been made of sexual misconduct against powerful men in Hollywood, media, business, and the White House, of course. Uh, we've had well-known businessmen and organizations that have either been fired or suspended, and male executives who have often been accused of harassment and later endure what's called uh, a noisy termination, new term in that hurt. What has been considered breaking news is in many instances now old news. Uh, beyond harassment allegations, there is a challenge uh, that we are now dealing with, with claims that have allegedly been, quote, resolved. And so that's what we're gonna be talking about today is how to address claims that have been resolved and how to deal with that. Let's talk a little bit about the Me Too movement itself. Claims in all industries, it has impacted every industry that you can possibly think of. Entertainment, legal, government, hospitality, agriculture, biocom, technology. Uh, we can all think of a significant name that has popped out in the news to us. I know one that really caught my eyes that related to this presentation was Al Franken, who himself had been proposing legislation related to the Me Too movement and then later was accused of engaging in the same behavior that he was uh, championing against. And we have to question why uh, this is now happening. There's been a big change in the age and gender that may be impacting the people who are now making these kinds of claims, specifically as it relates to age and gender. If you did a poll back in 2015, you would have had one in three women ages 18 to 34 who have said that they have been sexually harassed at work. Uh, but 71% of those have said that they did not report it. Now here we are five years later and nearly half of working women in the United States have said that they have experienced sexual harassment in the workplace. So the numbers are definitely growing and the dynamic is changing. And we have to question, how do we get here? Why is there a delay in the complaints that we're now hearing about, particularly as it relates to the employment context? What about the HR department? In many contexts, the HR department is perceived as an advocate for the employees. But there is indeed an inherent conflict within the HR department. Is their job to protect the company or to protect the employee? I think that comes down to a management attitude in the way that companies move forward from this and think about how they're going to support their HR team and making sure that they're advocates for their employees. Then another development over the last few months, we had Stormy Daniels. She filed a lawsuit against Donald Trump and others back on March 6th of 2018, seeking to invalidate the non-disclosure, AKA hush agreement. And if you look at the lawsuit, it's specific to a declaratory judgment action. Um, there's been a lot of discussion in the news of a lot of background facts, but at the end of the day, it relates to is the non-disclosure agreement that she signed prohibiting her from speaking about her alleged affair with Donald Trump going to be enforced Shortly thereafter, we had Karen McDougal, who on March 20th, 2018, filed a suit against the National Enquirer and their owner, arguing that her lawyer had then colluded with the owner of the National Enquirer to force her to sign a non-disclosure agreement. So in both of those high-profile instances, we have women who are seeking to invalidate a non-disclosure agreement for something that I'm sure the 
companies had thought they had put to bed, and I'm sure Donald Trump himself thought he had put to bed. So at the heart of the non-disclosure issue uh, with Stormy Daniels and Karen McDougal, we're looking to see, is the non-disclosure agreement valid? And that's what we're going to be talking about today. Because often when you have litigation, we will execute a non-disclosure agreement as part of a settlement agreement so that it is all put to rest. But will that be considered valid on an ongoing basis? And on a related note, there has been much discussion in the news about arbitration agreements. And quite often, employees are asked to sign arbitration agreements. According to the Economic Policy Institute, more than half of non-union private sector employees, which is 60.1 million employees within the United States, are subject to a mandatory arbitration agreement. Now, we have some companies like Microsoft who have now been taking a stand and voluntarily eliminating mandatory arbitration of the sexual harassment claims. And recently, again, if you follow the news, Uber and Lyft has done the same just in the last two months. But the question is, will we be able able to, on a large scale, enforce non-disclosure agreements? And will we be able to enforce arbitration agreements that usually go hand-in-hand in in an employment relationship? There has been a constant stream of development in these areas over the last six months. The Supreme Court recently weighed in specifically on the arbitration topic and for the first time ruled that arbitration agreements and specifically class action waivers of arbitration agreements could be enforced. And if you look to the decisions from Neil Gorsuch, who wrote the decision for the majority, he said that if workers are allowed to band together to press their claims and avoid arbitration, it essentially would be invalidating the Federal Arbitration Act. And those are the virtues, he says, that Congress saw in arbitration, and those virtues would be shorn away. So that is the Supreme Court's uh, analysis specifically on arbitration agreements and the enforcement of class action waivers. Then we have other developments that are out on the horizon specifically on arbitration agreements. First off on this point, we have a piece of legislation which was introduced late last year, 2017. It's called the Forced Arbitration of Sexual Harassment Act. This is a bipartisan bill that was sponsored by Senators Kirsten Gillibrand and Lindsey Graham, which proposes to invalidate mandatory employment arbitration for gender-based harassment and discrimination claims. And some commentators have said that to the extent the act goes forward, it would amend the Federal Arbitration Act as a whole and could be interpreted to, uh, on a broader scale, to exclude all employment claims from the Federal Arbitration Act. So we'll have to see where this piece of federal legislation goes. We have similar movements in various states. Specifically in Maryland, just in the last month, they passed a specific provision as well. Maryland passed the Disclosing Sexual Harassment in Workplace Act of 2018, which goes into effect October 1 of 2018. This new law would require employers with 50 or more employees to provide the Maryland Commission on Civil Rights with information on settlements of sexual harassment claims beginning in 2020. It also will prohibit employers from mandating the arbitration of sexual harassment or retaliation claims. So we'll have to see what happens with this new piece of legislation from Maryland, but this is something that has been passed. And commentators are saying that this piece of legislation, as well as other proposed legislation, will face an uphill preemption battle once they are enforced, because it is in conflict with the Federal Arbitration Act and on the Supreme Court's decision in EPIC, which I will talk about here in a moment, as it relates to another piece of legislation here in California. Here in California, we have a piece of legislation that was introduced by Lorena Gonzalez-Fletcher, a Democrat out of San Diego. This is AB 3080. 3080 has already passed the state assembly in late May and is now pending in the state Senate. And 
What this piece of legislation would do is ban employers from requiring workers to sign waivers forcing them to go to arbitration for workplace complaints. Now, AB 3080 is very different from the federal counterpart, which is specifically targeted to sexual harassment and sexual discrimination claims and prohibiting arbitration in those contexts. This piece of legislation would prohibit all arbitration clauses as a condition of employment. What that means is that employers and employees would only be able to arbitrate employment claims if it was voluntary. And again, there is similar discussion as to whether or not this piece of legislation in California, even if it passes the next hurdle within the state legislature, will ultimately be enforced or passed by Governor Brown, uh, because there is discussion that he himself may veto the piece of legislation. He vetoed in 2015 a similar bill, which would have prohibited arbitration of claims in the employment context. That was AB 465. And in his veto message, he discussed how other similar bans had consistently been struck down in other states as violating the Federal Arbitration Act. So we will see as to what happens. Um, other commentators also say that it is contradictory to the U.S. Supreme Court's decision in Epic Systems Court v. Lewis, which made it abundantly clear that the Federal Arbitration Act mandates the enforcement of arbitration agreements and was enacted, quote, in response to a perception that courts were unduly hostile to arbitration, close quote. Other legislation is also being proposed in other states, including New Jersey. And then we have Corporate America, who again has taken on similar efforts such as Microsoft, which I mentioned earlier, and their effort to waive the mandatory arbitration of sexual harassment claims will now impact 125 employees globally. So lots of potential development in the horizon, specifically as it relates to arbitration agreement. Then we have other proposed changes in the law that have come out of the Me Too movement. We have claims that have the potential legislation, which will potentially void existing confidentiality restrictions within settlement agreement. We also have proposed legislation which would prohibit confidentiality agreements in settlement agreements. And that's in Senate Bill 820, proposed here in California, which would prohibit any confidential provisions that stop disclosure of factual information related to the claims in a lawsuit for harassment or discrimination. We also have proposed legislation to expand statute of limitations. There's California Bill AB 1870, which would expand the period to file a complaint for sexual harassment to three years, which is greatly beyond what currently exists of up to one year to file administrative claim. Other proposed changes in the law would include an expansion of what is considered a workplace safety and or health hazard under Cal OSHA. Also discussion of expanded prohibited conduct, including what is considered abusive working environments. Uh, we've seen similar discussion of that in the bullying movement. There's also been proposed legislation that would eliminate caps on employment discrimination claims outside of just what exists in the state of California. Other proposed legislation to eliminate use of public funds to pay damages in harassment cases and expanded individual liability for the accused harassers. So with all this in mind, let's talk about what is next on the horizon for your business. And specifically, do you wait to see if the tsunami passes as it relates to this Me Too movement? Or is it time for you to do a candid review and perhaps a reconciliation of your policies and procedures? And also as it relates to your use of the non-disclosure agreements and arbitration agreements that you might already be using. First off, I'd suggest that you take a look at your policy. What does it say? Do you encourage whistleblowing? Do you set the tone to allow employees to make a complaint? Do you train your employees to understand that this is a mechanism that exists for them? And do you also train your supervisors to have them understand that this is a mechanism that they can direct their employees to? Also, as it relates to your employees, go back and look at the complaint mechanism that you provide. What are the resources that you're giving your employees as options to make a complaint to the exist that they have one? What if you have a small business? Is there someone that you're providing as a resource that's someone other than the president or the head director or members of the board of directors to the extent that 
that the employees have a complaint about the person themselves. You need to provide options to your employees. California itself requires specific provisions for sexual harassment and specifically requires the identification of these mechanisms. And perhaps to the extent that you're an employer that has operations outside of the state of California, go back and look to see whether or not you can implement that on a national scale. And for those of you who are outside the state of California, perhaps consider implementing a similar policy where it specifically identifies uh, the complaint mechanism and multiple alternatives to the extent an employee again has a complaint. Second, I would suggest that you go back and look at your training. Who are you providing training to? For those who have employees within the state of California with the requisite number of employees, you know that we have mandatory two-hour sexual harassment training for supervisors. Are you doing more than that? I'd always recommend that you consider opening that training, perhaps a more reduced version of that, to your employees because those are the people who often are going to be identifying inappropriate behavior in the workplace and perhaps be the best suited to be able to raise a complaint either on behalf of themselves or their coworkers. So evaluate who is getting the training. Evaluate how often you're providing the training. Is this something that you're just doing on a perfunctory basis every two years? To the extent you have ongoing issues in your workplace, I would certainly consider that you step it up and provide something more. What is the setting that you're providing for your training? Are you doing it in an online context? Well, that definitely can be a resource and it's better than certainly doing nothing and certainly uh, provides the alternatives that you need to meet your requirements under California state law. Consider doing in-person training where you provide feedback and a dialogue with your employees as to the realistic examples where inappropriate behavior has existed within your workplace so you can provide them with real-life examples of what is happening and what has happened and how to deal with the situation. Third, think about your structure of your business itself and who the leadership is. Do your employees feel comfortable speaking with the leadership? Is the leadership itself genuinely receptive to reports when they have one? Is the leadership responsive to the claims? Does your leadership encourage investigations to the extent that they are needed? And also, does your leadership take appropriate remedial action at all levels when it finds that a complaint either has been made or that there is inappropriate behavior that has happened within the workplace? Next, I would consider that you evaluate your claims history. Have you been having claims, internal administrative charges, and or lawsuits? How were they settled? If they were settled, did you rely upon a non-disclosure agreement? To the extent this Me Too movement and the Stormy Daniels movement continues to play out, perhaps those non-disclosure agreements will no longer be valid on a go-forward basis to the extent some of this legislation is approved. Do you have a history of buying the silence to resolve these issues? If so, perhaps consider the training, complaint mechanisms, and your policies to be able to address that dynamic. Do you have repeat offenders within your workplace? If so, what can you do about them? Have you been addressing them? Have you been making sure that they understand that they are under scrutiny? Also consider whether or not there are particular circumstances within your organization where perhaps harassment has occurred and you can eliminate those opportunities. Events at hotels with alcohol, perhaps sales conferences, or even late night projects where employees are working after hours with a few other people within the office confines. So those are all things that you can take into consideration as to whether or not you're going to have to rely on those non-disclosure and arbitration agreements. And again, to the extent that some of those opportunities are invalidated, you'll be in a better position in the wake of the Me Too movement to ensure that you are doing the best thing to provide a good and safe working environment for your employees. So with that being said, I hope you found this podcast helpful and look forward to catching up with you on a future podcast. Thank you.